Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. And this is your host, Robbie Martin. Sorry, I lost my voice singing karaoke, so it's a little bit scratchy still. Apologize in advance. Um, so yeah, a lot of <laughs> horrible things have happened in the last week. Uh, ironically, the day that the Charlie Hebdo, um, the massacre at the satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo in France happened, a car bombing in Yemen also went off killing 30 people and just days later a massacre in Nigeria actually where up to 2,000 people died Um, really really unfortunate but as the media tends to do um, focusing just on kind of the West which you know I'm please do not take this offensively I'm not demeaning these people or their lives or, or anything I'm not condoning the atrocity at all I'm just saying it's it's just interesting to see what the media focuses in on and covers more than other tragedies it's like the things that are easier to kind of hone in on and, and use and politicize and exploit um, and it's awful because people died and um, people are dying everywhere and people are going to die because of what the government's going to do in, in reaction to this yeah and I mean <laughs> I think that a big component to this is that people are really seizing on this because Europe has once again fallen out of love with America's America. I mean, Mm -hmm. like after Obama, you know, Europe sort of fell in love and got hoodwinked by the Obama administration or the Obama campaign. Um, You know, he won the Nobel Peace Prize like six months into his presidency. Um, So all those kind of things happen. People in Europe, he was at a very high favorability rating. So I think, you know, now that we're this far into his presidency, the honeymoon is sort of over even for Europeans. They're looking at our foreign policy with skepticism in the same way that they were under the Bush administration, maybe a little bit less so, but still more skeptical than they were when Obama first got in. So I think that it's just what we're seeing is like a wave of hyping up this attack. Um, and a lot of it, I think, is designed to make Europeans terrified in the same way that we were supposed to be terrified after 9-11. Um, in a similar way that Europeans were made to feel terrified after the 772 bombings in, in London and then the Madrid train station bombings. Um, and I think that it's just a continuation of that. It's another thing that is going to get Europeans sucked back into essentially what is the wet, the American war on terror. Right, yeah. Um Unfortunately, that's, yeah, it's going to just exacerbate those divisions there. We already know that there's a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment across Europe and it's just kind of growing. And in the wake of this horrific atrocity, there were countless mosques attacked, um, you know, graffiti vandalism saying like death to Arabs and shit all over the city. Just really ugly. kill all Muslims. Yeah, kill all Muslims. And, and it was so interesting because I'm getting... I feel like it's after 9-11. I mean, which is so interesting to say because here in America we have massacres by way of gun like every other week. You know, one week there'll be 12 people killed at a high school. The next week there'll be like three people gunned down. And I mean, there's gun violence happening every day. So it's hard to really say like that I feel like that just because people were shot and killed. But um, uh-huh. but it's because of the wave of Islamophobia and um, it's it's because of the vitriol that I'm seeing just from stating very just logical, like non-reactionary statements, kind of trying to put things into perspective and seeing just this wave of like hate that I haven't actually seen since 9-11. Like I swear to God, I mean, after the Boston bombing, it wasn't like this. Oh no, no, it was not anything like this. And I think that there's the reason why is because 
this is tapping into the liberal energy in a lot of ways. The Boston bombings was very general. It's like the targets weren't, you know, they were just civilians. There was no ideology supposedly behind it or whatever. But this is different because it's in a similar way to the interview. It's being seen as this like free speech, freedom of speech issue. And like the Muslims are trying to stifle our, basically they hate our freedoms. Mm. It's kind of like in that vein, it's that base level. But at the same time, it actually does take on that character, but in a more like legitimate sense in some ways. So it actually, I think it really gets a lot of liberal people sucked into the sort of Islamophobia now. Um, whereas Boston bombings didn't, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just spent the day with actually two Muslims, my friend Rima and um, my other friend there, she's Palestinian, the other one's Egyptian. And I just said, you know, what's your reaction to all this going on? And what do you think about kind of this expectation for you guys to condemn a, a population of 1.6 billion people just because some extremists did this? And she was like, it's fucking insane. She was like, and I refuse to do it. She was like, I actually feel Good. really sad that people think that that's the first thing they have to Good. say just because they're Muslim. She was like, I won't. And she said, I actually bring up, unless you apologize for Adam Lanza or Anders Breivik or George Bush. Yeah, especially um, George Bush. Yeah, it's like I, and we'll talk about why. And it, she's just like, I refuse to do that. And it's it's racist and it's bigoted. And, um, and she's like, it just encompasses all Arabs. And it's completely time to stand up to this. And I was just like, wow, that's... Totally well, people what I forget. Think people forget that, like, I mean, I guess, I mean, I don't know if you know if people forget, they just don't give a fuck that people don't, first of all, Americans don't even really understand the Muslim religion. If you're, if you grew up here, you know, um, you know, sort of Protestant, um, you know, raised citizen here, we have very little understanding of it whatsoever. All these right wingers who take passages selectively from the Quran and put them up and say, this is what the Quran means. There's all these supposed like experts on the Quran out there who are like, the Quran tells you you can do this and this and this, which is just hilarious to me because it's like none of these people were ever, you know, they've never actually like read the whole no. thing. You know, I mean, I mean, I haven't read the whole thing, but I can guarantee you that you can find just as many things in the Bible um, that would seem just as offensive. So I, I just find that interesting that there's this whole, you know, thing about that. But then also you have the more racial component to it, which I think is really what's feeding this at the, at the core. Um, my friend Kush, for example, yeah. you know, Kush, um, you know, he's an Indian guy. Um, he's Punjabi, but right after nine 11, um, he, people started to just talk shit to him on the street. Yeah. Um, they started to tell him to go home. They call them bin Laden, um, they would people like he would just be riding his bike by like on the weeks after nine eleven, you know, down the street, and people would just scream terrorist at him. So, I think that's, I mean, that still exists today. Maybe not as openly, but those feelings do. So I don't know. It's just, and it really does make me sad that Muslims are put into this corner where they feel like they have to condemn or apologize on behalf of their fellow Muslims. It just makes no sense because it doesn't apply to any other religion or race of anyone. No. Um, and, and it's really, really fucked up, Robbie. I was looking at just, I've been, I seriously spent the last two days just like reading hate in response to just things that I've been saying. And I'm just fascinated. I want to make like an art piece out of it because it's so disturbing um, but what I was thinking to do as like a social experiment was just like replace the word Arab or replace the word Muslim or Islam with like Jew, Israel, America, Christians. And 
you would be, I mean, it would be like unacceptable. Like you wouldn't be able to tweet those things without getting your account shut down or like calls from the cops. <laughs> like, I mean, the stuff that they're saying is so insane. And I just feel like saying, switch out some of these words and then look at yourself, read this out loud to yourself in the mirror. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just I like amazing. And I've seen some sort of contrarian arguments going back and forth. Like I've seen what's most interesting to me. Yeah. The hate and the pure racism and the right wing vitriol against Muslims that still persist is, is disgusting. And it is shocking when you see it come in waves like this, like after an event, I guess what's more weird to me is watching people who are liberals who know the war on terror is fake, sort of taking this more contrarian point of view saying like, well, I should be able to criticize Islam you know, in the same way that somebody should be able to criticize Israel without being seen as anti-Semitic, you know, like I, like, why shouldn't I be able to do that? Like criticize the whole thing. And it's like, I guess on its surface, that seems logical, but here's the problem is that a lot of people use that. It's like, yeah, there are a lot of people who will mix anti-Semitism in with their criticisms of Israel. There is a, there's a gradient. There are people Mm -hmm. who do it logically and fairly and who just point at the government of Israel but there are people who blend the two together and then even people who are just coming entirely from anti-Semitic direction. And I would argue that most of the people going after Islam, there's actually the majority of them are going after it for, as some sort of anti-Islamic, like anti-Arab racism, more so than people who go after Israel. Well, absolutely. And that's that's what one of the guests from CARE brought up on my show on Friday she said that one of the cartoonists for Charlie Hebdo um, actually got fired for printing what they deemed to be an anti-Semitic cartoon. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. the state of trying to, I mean, we know from Max Blumenthal's trip to Germany, it's pretty much completely not condoned whatsoever to even criticize Israel. He went to merely talk, he's Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> he went to merely talk about like the massacre in Gaza and his talk was canceled. I mean, it's absolutely insane, the state of like the inability to speak about certain states. So- The whole Charlie Hebdo thing is so interesting because absolutely like you should be able to say and do whatever you want without getting harmed. That is a hundred percent true. But why have this kind of disproportionality in your critique of those who are being the most oppressed in the whole world? That's the, that's the thing that I kind of just find odd is it's like, sure, that's totally your right to, to criticize and, and to make fun of and to draw satire about, but at least spread that gradient equally. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's completely ridiculous. Um, um, and and if people are, you know, the people who have actually have attacked me publicly, it was really interesting because there's someone, um, you know, there's a whole group of people who seem to be extremely intelligent and and totally understand kind of the the sci- psychological operation of the entire concept of a war on terrorism, and you know the fact that actions from the West, invasions, destabilizations, funding fighters have actually exacerbated and in some cases directly have paved the rise of certain extremist groups. You can look at the Mujahideen, the Taliban, um, ISIS, even when you have a Sunni majority that was totally left with nothing after the invasion of Iraq. And, um, And then when you're bleeding weapons into Syria, like these things don't happen in a vacuum. But then you have people who can understand that whole facet, but then because they're Christian you know, maybe right-leaning, right-leaning libertarians, they think that it's completely, they're like all jumping on the bandwagon to demonize extremist Islam and radical Islam. And they're like attacking me 
saying that I'm an apologist. And I find it really interesting because I don't know where they were calling out the extremism and Bush's rhetoric when he invoked God to invade two countries and kill a million people. Where was the Christian fanaticism there? Well, the funny thing is if you rewind back to that era and I, and I, and I know who you're talking about. I mean, we don't have to mention names because this does encompass a a large swath of the scene. A ton of people. But I mean, if you asked them that back then, they would probably find a way to say that George W. Bush was an aberration from Christianity and he was actually like not a Christian. Yeah. That's what they would say to you. And that he, and that by him saying that he was doing, he, he invaded Iraq and killed almost a million people because God told him to, they would reject the idea that that was religion that caused that mm-hmm. or that had any, you know, uh, influence on him to do that. But now because they have such a lack of understanding and context and just pretty much full on ignorance about the Muslim religion, they probably don't know any Muslim people or Arabs, you know, moderate Muslims, or even people who are very devout Muslims. They probably don't know really anybody. So the context is just lost. And once again, just like, you know, it's, it, this kind of belief system, it feeds off of ignorance. That's how it's able to exist. And it's simply the same thing. It's in the same way that the masses are being convinced that Islam is this dangerous threat. Somehow these people are too, even though they've, you know, for almost better part of a decade have been going on around, you know, rightfully saying that the war on terror is based on a false premise and that the U S government hypes up terrorist fears wherever it can. And that there really isn't this looming terrorist threat, you know, that's, that's going to get worse over time. So it is, it is quite strange to me. And I think in my opinion, I think the people who are going around doing that, who are libertarians, who are more right leaning are maybe even doing it to placate their newer audiences. Because I don't think that, libertarianism as a movement when I sort of jumped into the fray of it back in 2003 it wasn't dominated by by these kinds of people right by essentially racist Islamic phobic people but since the Tea Party it has been and that's the unfortunate thing You're that they've opened on. the door they opened the door for the this this kind of mindset it's like the crossover of like the Drudge Report fucking readership and like libertarian movement and it's a really bad fusion and you know what I thought that's so is. funny that you just said that because the second the, that that they started calling me out I was like you know no Muslims like I was just thinking to myself like you clearly have no friends that are Muslim because if yeah, you or, did or you would like, absolutely not be saying this shit it's yeah, just really and, obvious <laughs> And I mean, unfortunately, the same people who are parroting that kind of rhetoric also parrot homophobic stuff right. too. I mean, it's like when they talk about gays, they literally sound like, you know, someone from the 80s who's never met a gay person in their life. I mean, like the way, you know, um, the leader of this particular organization has actually referred to um, how gay people like to have things put up into their butt so hard that their intestines come out of their butt. And that's what, how he was referring to like the gay lifestyle. And I was so horrified. I was thinking, well, of course this explains right. their bigotry towards Muslims. I mean, this is just, it's like, it's based on the same ignorance. You know, you obviously don't know a single gay person, right? You know, it's like, right. well, how could you possibly think that? You know, it's, it's, totally it's just true. It's totally true, man. It's totally it's, fucking true. And that's why there was sad. nothing to even say. Cause it was like, it was just like all these people leaping on and saying, where are all the moderate Muslims? It's like, where aren't the moderate Muslims? Like, what are you talking about? Have you taken a second to like, look, because every fucking Muslim that appears on TV or in print starts with saying, we condone the massacre. Like 
we don't know, you know, we don't know how this could happen. It's like, I, I literally haven't seen one Muslim who had like, hasn't fallen into that to, to perpetuate that whole thing. And it's like, what are you talking about? I just, it's just so infuriating, man. And the sad thing is that white racism towards blacks, for example, has caused and has influenced in a lot of ways, like the black um, community leaders and the talking heads to like acquiesce to our racist rhetoric. So for example, when a black group of black youths loots a store in Ferguson, you will instantly see like five, you know, black talking heads go on the media, like apologize, mm-hmm, not apologizing, mm-hmm. but like condemning it and saying like, this doesn't represent us. You know, it's like they've learned to play that role really fast just because of the racist sort of like indoctrination they've they've i mean they've existed in a racist climate and they've tried to work within that by overcoming racism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's just put it that way so muslims you know there's not as many of them obviously and they still try to do that sadly which they really shouldn't i don't think you know and they do it because of our racism and they still don't even get noticed like people will still right. bring that up it's just it's just really really sad it's like even when they try to make these tokenistic efforts to show you know that they're that modern muslims are different it still has no effect people just will still say that shit yeah, exactly. and bill maher's oh tweet God. about how if you're a moderate muslim and you aren't speaking out against this right now then you're not a moderate Wait, muslim. No, he like, didn't even are you say kidding that? me? He, he said if you he said being a moderate muslim and speaking out against these things is not enough anymore. He was like unless you are putting yourself on the line and and saying that free speech or like a f- like that you can insult your religion then you're not a moderate muslim. Did you did you see that one where he was like unless you are defending the right to insult your religion you're not a moderate muslim or something just completely insane. Yeah, I saw that. It was like wait, what? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, really base level to me to think that any of these people are getting sucked into this idea that they actually hate our freedoms and that they're the ones who are somehow going to stifle our freedom of speech. It's like, like nothing these Muslim- happened, man, in the last, it's like, it's like literally nine twelve. Welcome back, everyone. Yep. And Rupert Murdoch tweeted, mind you, this is the guy who has, think about how much media power this guy has. Maybe most Muslims are peaceful, but until they recognize and destroy their groin jihadist cancer, they must be held responsible. And I guess that just makes me immediately think of what he talks about when he's in the vice board meeting room. I mean, he holds 10% of the power there. What does he say when they're like, yeah, we want to do specials showing how fucking insane vice is and showing how they indoctrinate, I mean, showing how insane yeah. ISIS is and showing how they indoctrinate their children into believing in jihad. You think he's like, no, I think that's, I mean, if, he probably encourages that of course. shit. I mean, it just makes me wonder, like, I don't know, like it just from all sides of this, I just, it just makes me furious. And, and I don't know, like I have a, I have a different view of a lot of this than I think most people do, even on the left, about what kind of free speech is really truly important to protect. Low-hanging fruit, like attacking um, a religion, sure, of course that should be protected. I think that should be protected everywhere on the planet. I don't think that should be illegal anywhere, Um, you know, especially here in the country that I live in or especially in in Europe. Um, But I guess the problem is, is that other kinds of free speech are not protected and no one gives a fuck because those kinds of free speech deeply offend most people. For example, Anwar Alaki's sermons. Um, 
there was never any proof offered that he was part of operational planning and operations in Al-Qaeda. So as far as we know, he was murdered because of his rhetoric and his sermons on, that he posted on the internet. And if you actually read them, if a white person said those things, they would not be considered a criminal even. They would probably have been able to continue to do them for their entire life. The fact that this guy was a Muslim and an Arab, and he was speaking English, saying these things, made him in a different class. You know, it, it just, how does that happen? That this guy automatically just gets placed into this class of, oh, he's a terrorist because he's advocating for the deaths of Americans and he's Arab and he's Muslim. I mean, why shouldn't you as a Muslim person be able to go out there and say, yeah, I do think American soldiers should be killed. I mean, you're not saying that you're not instructing people to go out there and kill American soldiers. Um, that would be maybe a little bit different, but you're just telling people that, yeah, you think these people deserve to be killed. They were invading this country. You know, they were occupiers and it was righteous that they were murdered in response. I mean, I think that that speech in my mind is far more important to protect because it actually reflects a very unpopular sentiment that people should be allowed to express, including Muslim people, you know? Yeah. And you know, what's ironic is that these new laws that are going to be passed and the new laws that were passed after 9-11, of course, that's what always happens is that it does the opposite of what they say that they're trying to threaten. So it's like, you know, 9-11 was our freedoms. They took all our freedoms. Now the French thing it's going to be like, yeah, of course, like everyone should have the right to criticize any religion that they want, but that's probably going to be means to crack down on, on press, free, not press freedoms, but like freedom of speech issues that you're talking about worldwide or, you know, ramping up drone attacks on people who just say things or exactly. Yeah. Or imprisoning people who like post things on Facebook. I mean, I, it's just amazing that you can use what you claim the terrorist justification was to actually put that into action in a different way. I think a lot of people have this the other way around. They think that a lot of the Muslims in France are totally unassimilated and they're like really extreme or whatever. But in actuality, a lot of like the younger generations of Muslims, there are not like that Muslim. They're not like devout Muslims. They're more just like, you know, like if you had Christian parents and you sort of followed along with it, but you led like a double life and you're just a teenager, you know, you're just a kid. And I think in France, there's a lot of more people like that. And that was actually what was behind those um, French riots that happened uh, a few years back is it wasn't, it wasn't some sort of like, you know, Islamic fundamentalist riot. It was just like the youth there was like very upset and they're a minority, an oppressed minority essentially. Um, and there, and that's how that sort of escalated. But over here in the United States, I think a lot of Muslims tend to be, less assimilated, less part of the, the, you know, the culture. And because of that, we don't really see voices here. We don't really see Muslims. Here. Let's just say we don't see Muslims here taking radical civil disobedience type actions. We don't, we just don't see it. And I think that's because, because they're less assimilated and also because they're more scared here and they, and they should be, I mean, our laws here are designed so that if, a, if you do something that a white person's allowed to do and you're a Muslim guy wearing Muslim garb, you could definitely be arrested for it, you know? And making right. the case that you're a terrorist is very easy to make because the court system is rigged against you. Yeah, look at all the in informant industrial complex where they have like 2,000 informants working around the clock. They're like threatening yeah. people to put them on the no-fly list and then tell you that you have to turn against your community. Even if you're you have no reason to be suspected of terrorism whatsoever. It's like they'll still try to use Muslims against each other in 
this country. Of course. Yeah. And it's disgusting. I just want to say one more thing about the, the white privilege. Let's just say what it is. The white privilege of, of being able to say certain things, but just by virtue of the fact that you're not an Arab or a Muslim and you can get away with them. Like for example, when I was in middle school, I downloaded the anarchist cookbook from the mm-hmm. on, on the internet and I looked at like tons of things on the internet just out of curiosity. A lot of kids, you know, young people go through this process. You discover the internet, the subculture, you look at facts on how to make explosives, you know, with, with, um, things in your kitchen and things like that. Just like, cause you don't, you don't, you just like, Whoa, this really exists. You know, it's like, you're curious about it. Imagine being like a Muslim Arab guy who's has the same curiosity who just wants to check out the anarchist cookbook or check out, you know, the army explosive field manual. Like if you're a fucking FBI agent or NSA agent or something and that pops up on your screen, what are you going to think, you know, versus a white person looking something like that up on the internet? I mean, you're immediately going to assume that the, this person could be a terrorist. That's the problem. Yeah. I was perpetuating white genocide, ethnic cleansing, because I said, this is all I said. I said, as much as Europe and America want to stay white, people cannot stop a rapidly changing world. We better learn to be adults and live in harmony. And what I meant by that is that it just seems like there's so much vitriol and racism against immigrants. And, And it comes from a lot of the same perspective of people who actually encourage and support bombing these countries into oblivion and into the stone ages, but then they hate them and do not consider them refugees and like refuse and, and fight them coming into their own country. And it's like, well, unless you, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And it comes from like that, that kind of racist right wing perspective. That's very anti-immigrant. Yeah. And someone was saying to me, um, you know, it's about religion. It's not about race. And I was like, really, that's funny. I said, because the white Christians here don't hate Mexicans because they're Catholic, do they? Didn't know that that's why they didn't like Mexicans coming into the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what are you talking about? And I think um, I think people also yeah. have to remember, too, that like the Muslim, um, the what's, what's the nation of Islam, specifically the sect of the Muslim religion that tends to be mostly dominated by African-Americans here in the United States. To most Americans, that was like our introduction to Islam as a concept. So I think people need to remember that also that like it's rooted in I mean it goes back to like the most tumultuous racial changes in our country just the just our right. understanding of what of what Muslims are or or Malcolm X and stuff so it's like of course it's not just we don't look at it as just a religion I mean we it was once embraced heavily by the most um oppressed racial minority in the country that was living under the Jim Crow era laws so I don't know it's just it's not, it's not, people are not looking at this just like a religion. And if you want to separate it from that, no. if you want to look at it from just in a vacuum and say, yeah, religions are bad. Islam is a bad religion. Judaism is a bad religion. Christianity is a bad religion. That's fine. I mean, I, that's totally fine. I mean, I share that sentiment in and of itself, but not 
this idea that targeting Islam specifically and pointing it out as like this dangerous religion, I, I think is, is completely ridiculous and it's just ignorant. It really is. It is. And you're telling me that all the people who are like vandalizing homes and committing acts of terrorism themselves against mosques and stuff, are they waiting and, and talking to people and saying, you know, are you a Muslim or are you just Arab? Or are they just targeting Arabs? It's like, don't tell me yeah. that this is about fucking religion, dude. No, like I said, Kush is Indian and he was targeted. So right. it doesn't matter. People are dumb. People are racist. Um, people want blood still after 9-11. Um, you know, even though in reality, most of the people killed in 9-11 were from the quote-unquote architectural disaster of the towers falling. I mean, people should really want blood from the people who, like, designed and signed off on the building safety. <laughs> like, well, I mean, the, yeah, here, they're the ones the who are responsible difference. for killing most of the people in 9-11. I mean, if you really, if you believe the official story is all I'm saying. Um, I think the only difference, it's very important to remind people of this, the only difference between terrorism and pol politics is that politicians have industrial warfare and like politicians invoke God all the fucking time. Look at Bush. Yeah. And, and this isn't even a politician. This is even scarier, but Eric Prince, the mercenary fucking father of Blackwater actually took it farther. He was killing people within his own organization saying that he was on a Christian crusade. He wanted white Christian supremacy in Iraq. I mean, he's sending people out to just gun down innocent civilians. Is that not Christian is he not a Christian zealot? Is he not a right-wing extremist, fanatical, dangerous motherfucker? Why is he allowed to go still on media? It's like, it's just, you have to understand that terrorists, we call them terrorists because they have nothing and we've bombed them into the stone age. So, so, and then we, and then we're shocked when they act like barbarians, you know, like using rocks in Palestine or beheading people. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, they don't have the industrial warfare to, to shred a family into pieces from a bomb. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I mean, I don't want to make like the most head up my ass uh, liberal argument ever, but I mean, in some ways, it's almost like a classist prejudice to be like looking down on people who use be, like tactics like beheadings and and rock throwing and IEDs as like these barbaric like terrorists versus our armies with our tanks and our white phosphorus and our you know hellfire missiles as like civilized i mean it's it's like it's simply because this is all they have and they're i mean they're milking it like in terms of a beheading i mean that's that's a really good way with no money no budget you know if you just have all willpower and you're willing to do it i mean honestly that's probably the best thing they can do as far as like just terrifying the world <laughs> like that's what i kept trying to tell joe rogan when i was on the joe rogan podcast and he was talking about you know these people have like martyrdom factories almost where the kids grow up and it's like today's heroes and tomorrow's martyr or something like that and i was just like okay think about the lives of gazans <laughs> you're born into nothing you have nothing you grow up hating your oppressor Okay, that, that's, it comes from desperation. Like people who strap bombs on themselves, you think that they want to, like, do you think that that would be the first choice into like getting a statement heard? No, it's like they're recruited because they're fucking desperate. They're so desperate. They have nothing. They're told that they're going to get money. Their family's going to get money. Um, it, it's just this completely ignorant perspective on how these things happen and why terrorism exists in those forms and, and in these places too. And it's just so funny that, you know, no one's talking about the terrorism that happens on a daily basis in all these countries. Cause it's just like brown people killing brown people. But it's like when there's an attack on the West, 
um, all fucking hell breaks loose. And, and then all these publications, I actually totally disagree with this, decided not to air any of the cartoons. Like I wanted to show all of Charlie Hebdo's shit. Like I wanted to do a whole monologue on Charlie Hebdo and RT had the same policy that every other news outlet did, which is that no one's going to show any cartoons. Yeah. And I think, that and that I that thought, just, well, isn't that, I mean, it's just weird to me. That just feeds into this idea that right. it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's going to cause terrorism. I mean, I think that just the premise, even in and of itself, that this attack that Muslims got so upset at this cartoon about Muhammad that they attacked is false in and of itself. I mean, it's it's a it's a false premise. I asked two Muslims today what they thought about that, and they were like, "If it's not that, it would be something else. Yeah. If it wasn't the cartoon, it would be this, and if it wasn't that, it'd be this." And they said that the guy said that he was radicalized years ago. I mean, French authorities had these guys in their crosshairs for years. It's kind of like the Boston bombing. It's, thing. But it's actually, it's like, in some ways, it's I would say the parallel is more apt for ni- with 9-11 because yeah, we yeah, had- yeah. So the, yeah, but I wanted to say one thing really quickly is that one of the guys said that he was initially radicalized by looking at photos of Abu Ghraib. Yeah. So it depends on when you want to start the timeline here, but go on. No, I was just going to say that their, their parallels to 9-11 is that a lot of these, I mean, it's even more of a ridiculous case with this French thing because these guys were both in jail and were both jailed for an attempted like terrorist action before. So so to have them be able to, I mean, it's like, it was almost just like a delayed thing. Like they were probably going to do this at some point, no matter what. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it seemed pretty inevitable to me, but I don't know. Um, you know, uh, I don't really know what the French laws are like, but I just know that these guys were already in jail and were well known to be like, you know, a supposed terrorist um, associates. This guy, Daniel Wickham, um, he's like a blogger. He's, he does some really good stuff. He published, he actually found the top censored story from Project Censored's book this year, which is, which is that the top 10 aid recipients of the United States government are all torture regimes, essentially. Um, and he just did another really good thing today where he's talking about here are all of these staunch defenders of the free press that attended the Solidarity Rally in Paris today, 13 hours ago. One, King Abdullah of Jordan, which last year sentenced a Palestinian journalist to 15 years in prison with hard labor. All right. I'm just going to go down the list really quick, if you don't mind, because this just shows you just the hypocrisy of like everything that's going on. Prime Minister of Turkey, which imprisons more journalists than any other country in the world. Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel, whose force has killed seven journalists in Gaza just in the last year. Foreign Minister of Egypt, which as well as the Al Jazeera staff, of course, has detained one journalist for 500 days, still detaining Al Jazeera journalists. Russia, last year jailed a journalist for insulting a government servant. Foreign Minister of Algeria, which detained journalist Abdelhi for 15 months without charge. I mean, just showing you that, you know, all these leaders are getting together. There's Tunisia, which recently jailed a blogger for defaming the army. PMs of Georgia and Bulgaria, both of whom have a record of beating, attacking journalists. And you have the Attorney General of the U.S., where, of course, we all know what's happening here in terms of journalism. Um, The Prime Minister of Greece, where they've been beating and detaining journalists since that whole strife has been going on. Secretary General of NATO, which, of course, was responsible. And I think, is this Wesley Clark, the Serbian journalists in 1999 who were bombed deliberately? Uh, Wait, say that one more time. Wesley Clark. was it Wesley Clark? I'm trying to think of who was the secretary general of NATO back in 1999. 
Um, he was. Well, I, okay. I don't know if he was the secretary general, but he was the in the commander. Yeah. So he remember when we bombed that building and deliberately killed all those uh, Serbian journalists. And then you have Mali of the foreign minister of Bahrain, second biggest jailer jailer of journalists in the world per capita. Qatar, um, Palestinian president, Slovenian president, Ireland president, Poland president. He just goes down the list and talking about how everyone has all of these horrific press freedoms when it comes to like journalism being practiced in their own country against their own government. And then of course the most recent one, Saudi Arabia, who is publicly flogging a blogger for insulting Islam. And this is happening. I just, this is fucking insane how they do this. It's like, I think one day every week for like, I don't know, until he gets a thousand lashes or something, but it's just like whipping him in public continuously over like the next six months. Isn't that just crazy? And then like a crowd gathers and watches it happen. It's just, just unbelievable. And here's our biggest ally, everyone. Yay. Saudi Arabia. Woo. Ugh. But yeah. you know, I'm, and I'm like, I have a lot of mixed feelings about the, the Saudi Arabia thing. Cause it's like, yeah, they are <laughs> totally an egregious, uh, human rights violator that we completely ignore you know we 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 look past it we don't we don't ever talk about them um but at the same time like i feel like there was there was sort of a turning point in the 80s where we were sort of poised there more hawks in the reagan administration were like were actually wanting us to take down saudi arabia and there was a turning point where i think the saudi arabians sort of made some kind of concessions and they started letting us do things like land you know like um like launch our attack on iraq from their bases and stuff like that so it was like it, there was a weird sort of point where i think it was originally part of the neocon plot was like that was going to be another country that we were going to take down or that we'd want to take down so I don't know. I'm always, I'm try. I'm a little cautious about going after them, but at the same time, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a perfect way to illustrate just how absurd it is that we go after these other countries. Yeah. And just the whole like freedom of speech thing. It's like, well, then let's be even across the board. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you have Don Lemon asking Arsalan Iftikhar, this really moderate Muslim guy who's been on my show a couple of times. And he, he asked him, do you support ISIS? <laughs> Like, that's the state of um, journalism, I guess, on the mainstream media. And here's the thing, like, what if, I I guess, yeah, that's, it's fucking absurd that he would ask that, like, he's a fucking <laughs> moron, but I would, I would want to see somebody get up there who doesn't seem that, like, Islamic even, who's just like, yeah, I do support ISIS. And then, like, because, like, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I, I subscribe to that point of view, but I would like to see more people, like, just coming out with more radical points of view like this in this in during time periods like this, because I guess I just feel like, you know, it, it inches forward even more. What's not allowed to talk about what's not allowed to express. Like we're, we're more well, pushed into these corners where it's like, we feel like we have to be like, yeah, ISIS is really bad. You know, like we have to always make that comment, you know, like, or, or even when, you know, like you and I are talking about North Korea on our last episode, like we have to make sure people know that, yeah, we don't think North Korea is good, but it's like, why should we really have to make people know that? I mean, like that's, it just, I don't know. I even feel like I fall into that trap sometimes where it's like, I feel like I have to 
you know, reinforce that notion or something. I don't know. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's totally true. And the North Korea thing too, I forgot to even say it in our last episode, but it's like, you know, the main thing is like, oh, everyone's starving and all that. And it's like, do people realize that that's what sanctions do? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's like, that's even that I, we forgot to talk about like what the sanctions have done to that country. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you're, what's so interesting is, you know, in the last three years of doing the show and even us since nine 11, I felt like we had made so much progress in not we, but I mean, collectively as a, as an effort, um, you know, just kind of battling this Islamic, this knee jerk reaction, reactionary attitude toward Islam and Muslims and like really just paved a lot of understanding and ground. And when things like this happen, you just realize that everyone can just revert back to this really barbaric childlike mindset of evil. And, and, and this whole time doing my show, even I talk about, I've never wavered in like my stance about Muslims or whatever. And it's just so funny that now people are acting as if I'm an apologist. And it's like, why? Cause I'm not immediately saying like, it's just like weird in the wake of something like this, like people's bloodlust just takes over their logic and they don't even understand that for the last 10 years, maybe they were getting out of that, but then it's just like something can happen and they can just go right back there. Yeah. And right back to that emotion. It would be really appeal to emotion. It'd be really interesting to be able to go back to the seventies and see how people like the Americans, uh, psyche was responding to Islamic terrorism back then because we had like a pretty big wave of like major, you know, Islamic based terrorist incidents in the seventies that in a lot of ways were like more scary and like more consistent than what's happening now. Like, um, the black September Olympic, uh, hostage taking thing where, um, I don't know if it was like, it was some, I think it might've been like the PLO or something that, that like took a bunch of Israelis, Olympians hostage and then killed a bunch of them in 72. Um, there was a bunch of hijackings in the seventies. I mean, a bunch where there weren't suicide bombings, but they were like, you know, um, you know, terrorist incidents where they like demanded prisoner releases and stuff like that. So it'd be interesting to see if people were acting as vitriolic against Muslims back then or to see if there was like this new injection of Islamophobia that, you know, came after 9-11 that was sort of took into this new territory of, um, I don't know, of like divide and conquer. I don't even really know what I'm trying that's to say. That's what I feel like this really is. No, that's what I feel like this really is. I feel like this is a, a divide and conquer mechanism. And I think that that's exactly what the attackers wanted. They wanted to exacerbate that strife. And I still haven't seen any evidence other than a statement published on the intercept that Al Qaeda is really responsible. Like as far as we know, they are rogue. I don't, I don't really know what that was about. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's like, well, it was like, it was like a source within the, like Al Qaeda in the Arabian peninsula, but it didn't really like, they'd never really made a, a statement that was public. Did they? They sent it to the intercept. Apparently Jeremy Scahill has a source inside Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, he claimed, I don't really know. I don't even really think it matters. I mean, like it, the thing to me is that does it really matter if these kinds of attacks are coordinated from some kind of like mastermind or not? I mean, like we don't seem concerned. It's just funny that like for years and years and years, it was like, you know, 
Bin Laden was the mastermind, yet we weren't that concerned about killing him. We killed him, uh, you know, allegedly many years later. And then it was Khalid Sheikh Muhammad was the mastermind. Um, and he's in Gitmo, you know, just sort of riding away right now. And then, but now it's like they're going back to, and this is what we talked about on our I, maybe I talked about this with John on his show. I don't remember, mm-hmm. but the idea that it doesn't matter who, you know, they can choose who's the mastermind when when it's convenient. And now it's, it's Wahri again as the mastermind. Um, he's the one, you know, behind Arabia, uh, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. Like, he controls it. But it's like, if he's the mastermind, how come the U.S. government hasn't been talking about taking him out? I mean, I can't remember one single time where anybody talked about trying to find Zawahiri and taking him out. You know, shouldn't that be, for people who are really behind this idea of the war on terror, shouldn't that be like the main guy to take out? The guy who started right. Al-Qaeda in the first place? It's just strange to me that that's like, that now we're back to him again and and he's directing these shooters, you know, and it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's, it, was a, it was a shooting. It, it happened. They didn't really need, um, you know, m- really any resources really i mean i don't I, do, I guess i just don't understand it besides maybe military training which you don't have to get from al-qaeda that's the thing it's like these are militia insurgent style tactics that these you know these types of people will always use and you can learn those from books and, and dvds and you know i mean apparently even mosawi this is a weird coincidence is that mosawi before he was arrested in august of um, 2001 actually contacted blackwater to try to train there um, because that, oh, wow. you know, because essentially it would be the same as going to an Al-Qaeda training right, camp. Right, So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and then I also wanted to go back and quickly talk about that George W. Bush, you know, said he invaded Iraq because God told him to. Mm-hmm. And that's been established. That's not a myth. That's not a conspiracy theory. He's actually fucking said that. Right. So, n- now that we know that, um, it's it's interesting that if you look at really the real fears, when you really look at like these neocons talk about the Iranian nuclear pro- the Iranian nuclear program, and what they're truly afraid of, they're mm. afraid that a religious zealot will get a hold of like the nuclear football and be able to launch a nuclear attack. Mm-hmm. That's what their main fear is. They don't trust, you know, the leadership to be able to have a nuclear weapon. Um, and it, but it's like in a way that's what happened during the Bush administration. A religious zealot took over the military <laughs> apparatus and used it indiscriminately to launch this like ridiculously crazy um, new push for endless war. It's it, it's it's weird. It's almost like they're 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 scared of themselves because they know what they're 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 capable of or something like almost yeah. like this weird like looking into a mirror and seeing your soul. It's like for the yeah, same reason look, why we talk Israel. about Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean invoking like just the right of Israelis and and Jews to be in that land and then just slaughtering thousands of Palestinians in the name of religion essentially. Yeah. yeah. No, for real. Yeah. It's unreal. And I wanted to, have you seen Adam Curtis's new little short? No, I, I was, oh, really? I was curious about it because I saw like a preview for it and it looked like it was kind of not, I wasn't my bag. I was like, oh weird. This is like hyping up Islamic terrorism, but maybe I'm wrong. What did it? No. Well, I, I it, it was only five minutes. So you might've actually seen the whole clip if you, if, cause it's not longer than that. Um, but it was for this other person's show. So he just did a five minute clip on, so fascinating talking about why world politics like doesn't make any sense now. Like how, you know, we can be bombing 
Assad, but have the same enemy that Assad does and all this shit, like just going over like the Ukraine thing, like how convoluted that was and how oh, wow. just like everything makes no sense. And it, and it actually is like a time in history where things are so convoluted and contradictory that it actually is like a tool used by the establishment. And he actually talks about like how this all started in Russia with one of the political parties there, this guy like seized on this weird like propaganda tool to like purposefully distort every issue to make it so like you didn't even know like what the truth was and how he said that's been adopted by all these Western leaders to just like just totally confuse everyone and make everyone be like, well, I don't know what's going on. Wow. I just think it's just so funny because it's exactly what's happening. It's like wow. no one has any sort of answers about like what to do, like what's really happening on the ground in Ukraine. Well, it was well, great. It was absolutely great. I recommend everyone to see it, but it goes into um, Russia. And, and speaking of Russia, I wanted to bring up something that I've seen lately. Um, I had on a, a transgender woman on the show in light of this other woman, Leela Alcorn. Did you hear about that woman? She was 16 years old, 17 years old rather. Yeah. Very and sad. her parents, she basically was driven to suicide because her parents were forcing her to have conversion therapy, which is a Christian based therapy. And I'm not even going to call it therapy because it's pseudoscience where you're trying to tell transgender or gay people that they're not that, um, and that they need to just, that they're mentally ill basically. Um, and so she wrote me and saying, you know, are we going to talk about the fact that Russia just banned driving for transgender people? And I was like, pardon me. Like, I was just like stunned. I was like, wow, that's fucking nuts. Is that true? And just a, a Google search led me to, you know, Time Magazine, Wall Street Journal. I'm, I'm reading The Guardian right now. And every single headline says Russia bans transgender people from driving. But kind of a cursory scroll through the article, you realize that, first of all, they, they didn't actually do that. But what they did do is include this list that's deemed by the World Health Organization as a mental illness. This is very strange. This is very convoluted, I know. So what Russia did was include some weird amendment to their like driving restrictions. And, and, and the amendment links to all of the classifications under the World Health Organization for behavioral and like sexual disorders and mental illness. And the list is enormous. I mean, it's, you can be like a sex addict and be denied a license, I guess. If you're, if you're saying like the leap that you're going to say transgender people are like banned from driving, like you can easily just have the same headline sex addicts banned from driving. So I just thought it was weird that that was like the headline picked up by every single establishment news organization, even places like the guardian. And now, um, I mean, basically what we should be doing is trying to have the world health organization stop classifying transgender people as mental, as a mental illness. That's, that's the part that really, I think is the story here. Um, obviously like this, this could be used in a lot of weird ways. And I think that the first time that someone is transgender or a sex, like has some sort of mental illness and they're banned from driving when they should be driving, then I think that that's the story. But right now I, I don't really know what this story is and it's just really strange. No, it is. It is really strange. And I've, you know, you know me, I, I pay attention to Radio Free um, Europe's like articles and their postings and, and the gay propaganda law in Russia was was clearly a homophobic law that was specifically passed. But this is not that this is not the same thing. They're trying to make it seem like this is the same thing for transgender right. drivers. But it's not at all is what you're saying is that it's just right. literally using the entire list 
of mental illnesses from the World Health Organization, and in the World Health Organization's list, they include transgender, right. <laughs> um, a right. gender disorder, or whatever. Gender um, dysphoria, yeah, yeah, it's insane. So that's that's the fascinating thing, and what's also weird to me is that you know our our pal. Um, Mr. Vape Pen, J- Josh Rogan. Josh Rogie wrote the wrote an article recently that was leaked. For, you know, obviously another like White House or internal leak that was feeding him in this information that Russia and the United States are like doing back channel negotiations to scale down sort of the you know the tensions. Um, whether that means to eventually scale down the sanctions or to scale down the rhetoric each country is throwing back at each other, etc. Um, I didn't read the whole article, but it's interesting to me that. It's again, it's just another example of like, you know, con- complete confusion. Like who's really driving this? Who Who's really, you know, the conductor here or who's moving this train? Or it's just more internal factions that are in disagreement with each other who are just trying to, trying to escalate tensions more while other people are trying to draw them down. You know, I mean, could be people like, you know, in the more NATO State Department faction are, are, are really invested in it and want to keep increasing the tensions and maybe the white house wants to draw them down or maybe it's the opposite we don't really know it's it is confusing and what adam curtis brought up in his little you know mini documentary it it's like the new reality paradigm yeah but it's a new it's a new and more confusing one that is very hard to follow and it could it could be by you know maybe they're exacerbating the confusion to make yeah that's it's just so funny because we i feel like our our discourse for the last like couple months has been that like we're like we just talk about how nothing makes sense anymore and how it's getting more convoluted and more convoluted. Like the propaganda is getting harder to discern yeah. and like who's really benefiting behind the scenes and how many people are working together and all this shit. And it's just so funny to hear that he's been on that same wavelength, you know, like it's just, he's just so good. I mean, and I think it could partially be explained by just this idea that there are a bunch of new people who have jumped into the fray who are trying to push the narrative in, in their own ways. And, you know, it's it's increased exponentially since 9-11 even. So what seemed simple and, you know, clear cut under the Bush administration, this was propaganda, this wasn't propaganda, it becomes more confusing over time because there's more, it's more of like a snowstorm. We don't know, we can't see, you know, the individual pieces and we can't find out as easily like, like where did that transgender story even come from originally? You know, like how do you trace that back to the source? It's harder, I feel Mm -hmm, these days mm -hmm. and it's also interesting when you think of like if you just want an example of why the anti-russia wave is illegitimate and manufactured one example to prove that is basically what happened to china we were like generating all this anti-chinese propaganda like in the late 90s um and even in the early 2000s we were um, there were some tense situations there right before 9-11. One of our spy planes crashed in China and they wouldn't let go of the pilot. He survived. And it was like a standoff for a week. Um, there was a lot of Falun Gong um, coverage here about how, mm-hmm. you know, these Buddhist practitioners in China were being beaten and arrested mm-hmm. and imprisoned. There was a lot of pre- bad press here about their organ harvesting industry and how, you know, how much they use the death penalty and how they would kill old women who were, you know, blocking bulldozers, you know, <laughs> and their villages and the bulldozers would just run them over and bury them. That press just totally stopped. Like for some reason, at some point there was a decision made, okay, you know, draw down the anti-Chinese coverage. We're going to like, you know, this is a new era. It's kind of like a reset with China. 
you know, and the reset with Russia, I guess, didn't really last or something, or somebody decided mm -hmm. to reset it again. I mean, just that alone, just the fact that we were ramping up so much anti-Chinese rhetoric, um, you know, 10 years ago or more, and then that stopped, even though China is the same, in some ways they're worse. It's not like they're less corrupt and more, you know, freedom loving it's now. Just like Boko Haram. It's like when we want to focus on horrible atrocities and the perpetrators of them, and we will. And when we don't, it's very glaring. It's a very, very glaring dichotomy here. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to wrap it up by just saying, just take a step back, everyone. I mean, if we didn't already enrage you enough to shut this episode off, if you are one of those people who just like is really angry at Muslims, you just got to take it into perspective. And if you don't personally know any Muslims, just know that there's, that's one fifth of the entire world's population. And, um, 99.9999999 are good, decent people, just like you. There are brothers and sisters and, um, they want the same exact things that we do in life. They want self-determination. They want to live with civil rights and freedom and compassion and empathy. And it must be really hard to be living in an era where you're being demonized everywhere you look and, you know, you're constantly on the defense and, I just have a lot of respect for people like my friends who I just saw today that just remain really, really positive and don't get angry because they know that that's exactly like what, you know, what they're expected to do or something or just to like, I mean, they just, they just smile and say, no, I mean, that's all you can do. But I think we have a part to play and we have a role to play to really call out this bigotry whenever we see it, um, especially if you're white, you know, I, I have nothing to lose. I'm not Muslim. I'm not Arab. I'm white. I'm a white American. So we have a lot of power to shut down this horribly toxic narrative and really just call out the bullshit. Yeah. And I'd like to just give a big fuck you to the people out there who would refer to either Abby and I as Muslim or, you know, terrorism apologists or anything like that. I mean, we're just trying to bring a rational perspective to the table and, and, um, you know, it's, this is not a free speech issue. It's, it's disproportionately focused on as a free speech issue. If you believe truly in free speech, you have to do it across the board and also believe that people who have extremist views who happen to be Muslim should be allowed to speak those freely and not be labeled as terrorists or not be arrested for them. So that's, that's one thing. And, um, I don't know, uh, just, that the religious extremism angle to this, I think, is still very valid. And I don't care how many times Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins oh try to say that Islam is far more dangerous than Christianity or Judaism. I mean, in reality, they are all iterations of Judaism. Um, Judaism came first. Catholicism came next. Christianity was, you know, an offshoot. Protestantism was an offshoot from that. And then we have, um, you know, Islam as another offshoot from, you know, sort of the Judeo-Christian religion. So, I mean, these people are all just the part of the same fucking iteration of the same religion right. anyway. So it's just like, just, you know, look at it in the, the context. I mean, I mean, Muslims also believe in Jesus. Um, right. They, they, they worship the Virgin Mary. I mean, it's just interesting the way that we make them seem so alien, you know, to us, but... I don't know. It's, it's things are just not as they seem when you, when you really look at it, you know, I mean, 
go pick up, you know, if you're, if you're, if you know nothing about the Muslim religion and you're afraid of what the Quran says and you believe this stuff, like go pick it up and, you know, maybe try to challenge right, or some go, of those or beliefs go that you have. sit in and, and maybe go talk to a Muslim. They're human beings just like us. And, you know, we just need to be more tolerant and empathic because this world is just getting out of control, man. And it really makes me sad when I see things like this, but everyone donate to mediaroots.org. Check out our website, check out abbymartin.org. Um, for a new little shop that I have up there. And my brother's putting out a really awesome song soon. Is it ready yet, Robbie? Is what ready? The song, the fuck the EU song. Oh, um, it's coming out probably next month. Okay. I'm going to release it on vinyl. Oh, great. Um, Can't and it's going to also be on the same release with, uh, we killed kids on the basketball court. <laughs> the song that I performed on your show. Beautiful. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I'm also working on a, a movie right now about, the project for the new American century think tank, um, that later turned into the foreign policy initiative think tank and you're in it, Abby. And, um, some of our other, uh, you know, our most, the people that we love to hate the most are in it. And, uh, and that'll probably be finished, um, sometime probably in May. Yeah. It's really, really good so far. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Peace. Bye. Oh.